Annika. Welcome to the Not My Problem podcast. Let's have some long overdue, uncomfortable conversations. Hi everyone, we are back. Yes. Um so today we want to talk about a topic that is very important to both of us and that is mental health and self-care. Yes, it's definitely a topic that we are both very passionate about. Yeah. Um, and I'm very excited about this episode in which we discuss um mental health kind of mm-hmm. quite broadly, so we will give some uh, statistics and figures uh, that I think most people don't really know and are sometimes quite shocking. Um, we will dive into trauma, the different kinds of trauma, um, and we will also talk about things that people don't really often, I, th- I believe, relate to, to mental health. Um, so the imposter syndrome or gaslighting or even eating disorders. So. Yeah, this I'm I'm very excited about about this 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 um episode. Uh let me start off by giving you the definition of mental health. Uh it is a person's condition with regards to their psychological and emotional well-being. Yes, and to give you a bit of an overview um why mental health is not just important to us, but it is a global important health issues. We want to talk a little bit about what's done globally and some stats and figures for you, really. Yeah, okay. So as Annika just said, um, mental health is becoming a more and more global issue um, and concern. So, in fact, the um, World Health Organization on Mental Health um, has now added mental health as part of the SDG or the Sustainable Development Goals that are set by, by the UN. And that's really because it's becoming like increasingly um, concerning. Uh, so there have been e- there has been effort in that direction to as to how can we what can be done at the global level to make sure that we are um, actively fighting or advocating for better over, overall um, mental health. And uh, just to clarify, what are the uh, SDG? Uh, there are 17 interlinked uh, global goals designed to be uh, a blueprint to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all. Um, so now mental health is one of the, is part of those. And uh, concretely, what is being done? Um, so the questions that this uh, brings up is like, what can we do for uh, mental health awareness to increase understanding and reduce stigma? Um, the efforts to increase access um, to quality mental health care and effective treatments, and also uh, research to identify new treatments and improve existing treatments for all mental disorders. Yes, and to put this kind into figures and um, give you a better idea of what this actually looks like, um, we picked up on some facts on mental health. And one of them is that, for example, suicide is the second leading cause of death among 15 to 29 year olds worldwide. Globally, 264 million people suffer from depression and 284 million people suffer from anxiety. And um, I think the figures are actually quite mind-boggling when you think about it, that um, mental health is still so stigmatized globally, access to care is not equally distributed, care is not, you know, of the same quality wherever you go either. Mm-hmm. And given that so many people suffer from it, um, yeah, you'd think that would already be on a lot more uh, people on more people's radars basically mm-hmm. but yeah. um, it's not <laughs> we're not there yet but uh, hopefully no. hopefully it's getting better um, I just want to also highlight some uh, United Kingdom specific statistics um, so one in four people will experience a mental health problem of some kind each year in England um, suicide is the single biggest killer of men under the age of 40, 45 in the country um, so yeah, it's uh, 6.8 thousand suicides per year and the figure is actually rising every year. 
Um, depression is also a big issue. Uh, moderate to severe depressive symptoms increased from 9.7% between July 2019 and March 2020 to 19.2% um, in June 2020. Um, so yeah, that's a huge increase, probably also like due to, to the situation of the, the pandemic and all that. But um, yeah, depression is alarmingly, uh, alarming and, and very concerning. Um, anxiety is also... Um, as Annika just said, globally, but in the UK specifically, it's estimated that 8.2 million people suffer from anxiety. So um, given all those facts, um, you might wonder who's basically affected by mental health problems, right? And um, we have looked into this and um, specific groups are obviously at a higher risks. Um, one of them is LGBTIQ plus people, as they are between two to three times more likely than heterosexual people to report ha to report to having a mental health problem in England alone. So we're not talking about Scotland, we're not talking about Wales and Northern Ireland, just England. And um, also black or black British people, 23% of black or black British people will experience a common mental health problem in any given week. And that compares actually to only 17% of white British people, which mm -hmm. is um, an interesting divide. Yeah, huge difference there. Um, I also want to point out that young women aged between 16 and 24 um, are also more affected. Uh, so over a quarter of young women um, report having a common mental health problem in any given week. This compares to 17 of all adults. Um, so and, and this number also has been going up. Um, moreover, over um, around 40% of people in England who have overlapping problems, including uh, homelessness, substance misuse, and contact with the criminal justice systems uh, in any given year, also have mental health problems uh, more so than uh, people who are not exposed to these kinds of uh, issues. Um, and this is also known as facing multiple disadvantage and uh, how that plays in with um, mental health problems. Yes, and um, obviously these are examples and we just want to make clear that we are not invalidating anybody else's experience of having mental health issues by saying these are the groups that are more likely to suffer from mental health issues or less likely to actually seek help for it. We mm -hmm. just wanted to give you some examples of what um, groups of people actually in England specifically um, are suffering predominantly from mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And so to summarize this, really who's at risk is basically people facing social inequality and disadvantage. And that's this, the example Sephora just gave. Um, if you, for example, are, um, you know, homeless or if you are misusing substances, that can increase your likelihood for getting mental health issues. Mm -hmm. um, those facing discrimination and social exclusion are also more likely to suffer from mental health issues as well as those going through a traumatic experience or those who have changes in their physical health. Um, so these are all risk factors that make it more likely for you to um, either have already a mental health problem or development over the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I guess so what we'd like to do next is kind of dive into um, some of the causes for um, mental health problems. Um, Annika already kind of uh, mentioned a few, but we would like to, to dig deeper, um, try to understand what are some of the most common causes and what can we do about it really. So the first um, mental health issue that we want to discuss in the context of our podcast as well is trauma. And we just want to give people a bit of a heads up here. If you've experienced any kind of trauma, um, just skip forward to either our recommendation section or the next subtopic because um, we will talk about trauma extensively and um, give some examples as well. So... For the benefit of your own mental health, if today is not your day, either turn the podcast off right now or skip forward to the next section. But um, first of all, as in our tradition, we want to give you a definition of trauma. Um, so 
Trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event like an accident, violent assault, nat or natural disaster, for example. Immediately after the event, shock and denial are quite typical. And longer term reactions usually include um, unpredictable emotions, flashbacks, strained relationships or even physical symptoms like headaches or nausea. And traumatic events can happen at any age and they can cause long lasting harm. And it's important to remember that not everyone has uh, the same reaction to trauma. So people deal with it very differently. So some might notice the effects of it quite quickly and some might not for years afterwards. And uh, we would like to dive now into some examples of types of trauma that can creep in. And they might also not happen at a single remarkable event, right? But they can happen over time to repetitive microaggressions. And this is where Seth will talk about um, racial trauma now in the context of our podcast as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So as you just said, I think it's important to remember that trauma can manifest itself in so many different ways. Um, yeah, it can be like due to something to just one particular event or just like a repetition of microaggressions or it can just like disappear for a few years and then come back. It's just all very complex. And of course, we are not health professionals, so we're just... Um, we will just broadly talk about the things that we've researched, uh, but uh, yeah, we are well, we are not going to be giving advice as to how to treat your trauma, right? Like we're just we just mm -hmm. want to raise awareness um, so that you can help yourself and maybe seek to help others uh, just by knowing by having the the, the knowledge. Um, and yeah, so I would like to talk about racial trauma. So it is a reaction to experiences of racism um, and that can include violence or humiliation. Um, you might also hear it referred to as race-based trauma or race-based traumatic stress. So all of these things are kind of fall under the umbrella of uh, racial trauma. Um, trauma. And um, it affects anyone who experiences uh, racism. And it's important to understand that these experiences do not have to be direct. So, for example, if you are black, repeated exposure to footage or written accounts of police brutality against other black people is traumatic for you, too, even if you're not the person who's directly being injured. Um, or if you're uh, Asian, um, reading accounts of hate crime crimes against Asian people during uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic last year can also be traumatic, even if you were not the one receiving directly um, uh, at the receiving end uh, of those uh, hate crimes. It's still traumatic for you. Um, I also want to mention that racial trauma can be intergenerational, so it, meaning that it can affect multiple generations. So you might experience racial trauma if an ancestor experienced ongoing racism. Um, especially through uh, things like genocide or slavery or internment camps, right? So even if you directly did not experience any of that because your ancestor did, you can carry this intergenerational tra trauma too. Something that is very real and that should definitely not be minimized. Um, so just to give an example, uh, a common teaching in the black community is regarding work ethics, right? So we must work twice as hard just to, to be just as good as the next person, right? So I personally uh, don't know a black person who has not been taught this lesson growing up, right? Like you need, like if, if you want to, like we've all been taught kind of like if you want to get to the same point as your uh, white peers, you're going to have to work twice as much. This is just, and that's a direct result of generational trauma, right? It's like how this carries on because it's, um, it's a philosophy that is based on co cultural conditioning, on anthropological assertion and on lived experiences of our, our ancestors, because it was very, very much real for them um, that they indeed always had to work so much harder. So they just they're just carrying it um, to their to, to future generations. And yeah, so to sum up, um, racial trauma is about uh, affects anyone who experiences racism directly or not um it can be as a result to a specific event but also as a result of um an accumulation of minor aggressions 
um, it can and it is definitely also intergenerational um, yeah yes um, thank you for summarizing this that was really interesting especially your personal perspective as well um, as we mentioned before there are ob also other many other types of trauma um, that can be induced by discrimination based on protected characteristics um, we've mentioned these in previous episodes but just to give you an idea sexual orientation gender identity and religion and um, again just to make this very clear trauma can also happen through accidents or other life events but given the context of our podcast we want to talk about these specific types of um, events that can be induced due to the fact that you may be you know gay or you may have um, a different religion than the person next to you so just to give you an overview and we want to give you a couple of examples on what trauma symptoms could look like and we're not going to go deeply into this but um, one very um, real example is hypervigilance or greater apprehension so you may experience heightened fears of engaging with people in certain environments or following your experience of racism or homophobia, Islamophobia, transphobia. So if you experience racist or is Islamic phobic violence after an encounter with the law, for example, which, you know, a lot of people um, will have done specifically after the protests that have been happening, that have been happening all over the world over the last few months and years, then you might find yourself tensing up when you pass a police car on the street, for example. Another symptom would be um, anxiety and depression, but it could also be nightmares or flashbacks. Um, some people even have an increased substance use or may develop more aggressive behavior. And one of the ones that I find um, the saddest is like the reduced hope for the future. So there is this kind of chronic concern of being harmed by, you know, any kind of transphobic, homophobic, racist uh, people, comments, acts. And it can kind of make it feel really, really hard to be positive and hopeful for the future, um, not just for yourself, but also for those um, close to you. So it's quite important to realize that trauma symptoms uh, can be varied and they can affect anyone and um, something that I think Seth and I both agree on is they are nothing to be ashamed of so even if you mm -hmm. do feel this way um, that's okay just um, mm. you do the best you can and try to get some help okay so now that we have some examples of how um, trauma manifests itself and the um, symptoms um, and who it affects uh, we now would like to talk about a uh, little bit about what can you do to help your own mental health. And then again, just to remind you, we are not going to be suggesting any treatments of any sorts. We'll just we'll just like to talk a bit about um, our approach to looking after our, our mental health and things that might be helpful also for others. Exactly. And we want to talk about this really in the context of uh, self-care. And self-care does not replace professional help or treatment, but it's something that can actually help you manage your everyday life. And even if you don't suffer from any mental health issues, it, you might just find it interesting to how to you know take care of your mental health. Because I think a lot of people talk about how to deal with your physical health and how to keep mm -hmm. yourself physically healthy. But mm -hmm. talking about self-care, mindfulness, uh, looking after your own mind um, is not something that's as much discussed yeah i think you're perfectly right like i feel like we all do go and do like regular physical checkups but um i don't know many people who do uh, have regular mental checkups as well um and i think it's really really important um so i would just like to list a few points that i think are important when it comes to uh, looking out for yourself so first thing is about overcoming stigma so nearly nine out of, out of ten people with mental health problems say that stigma and discrimination have a ne negative effect on their lives um, which makes sense um, so I think it would be really um, beneficial for all of us to have this kind of discussions around mental health more and more often such that mm. we can um, yeah be better at not stigmatizing it so much 
because um, we know that people with mental health problems are amongst the least likely of any group with a long-term health condition or disability to find work or to be in a steady long-term relationship, to live in a decent housing, to be socially included in mainstream society. Um, and that's a big part of that is due to, um, is as a result of, uh, of stigma. Um, and it's because society in general has stereotyped views about mental illness and how it affects people. Um, many people believe that people with mental uh, illness are violent and dangerous, um, when in fact they are more at risk of being attacked or harming themselves than har harming others, statistically. Um, yes, and that's just crazy, right? Because it's, it's really, um, as you said earlier, stigma and discrimination obviously can worsen someone's mental health problems and they can actually lead to the fact that it may be delayed or never get help uh, for any treatment or recovery and one thing that we both I think discuss quite a lot is how media can um, exacerbate that issue on that situation and mm -hmm. media often reports linked or links mental health with violence or portrays people with mental health problems as dangerous or criminal mm -hmm. or evil and um, it almost is suggested that people who have mental health issues are not able to live a normal fulfilled life and you can easily see how this stigmatization um, leads to the fact that people don't get treatment right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's interesting because, in fact, research shows that the best way to challenge these stereotypes is through first-hand contact with, um, with people with experience of mental health problems. So, um, yeah, a number of um, national and local campaigns are trying to change public attitudes to mental illness. And these include uh, national, national voluntary sector campaigns, um, such as uh, Time to Change. And um, also the Equality Act 2010 now makes it illegal to discriminate directly and or indirectly against people with mental health problems in public services and functions to access premises, work, education, associations and transport. And I think those are very interesting because um, they will be key, I believe, um, for society as a whole to you know, reduce stigma around mental health. Like, I strongly believe that if we were to bring um, all people closer together, that it are, that is people who are mentally very healthy and people who are not, then we'll, better, we'll get to better understand me mental health and overcome this stigma and uh, have ultimately less dis discrimination around, um, uh, discrimination uh, against people with mental health issues. Yes, for sure. And it also, I think, would be helpful in the context of actually recognizing the signs of poor mental health and how to deal with it. Because once mm -hmm. it's common, not common knowledge, you know, it's um, almost like the breast cancer campaigns that we so often see, you know, mm -hmm. if you learn how to check for it, every woman is doing it right. And it's normalized yeah. and discussed. But for mental health, it's still not as um, as normalized. Um, mm -hmm to give you an idea of um, a mental health issue that could really affect anybody. And I think Seth and I discussed this often also in the context of being in academia, um, is imposter syndrome. And some of you may have heard of this, some of you may have not heard of this, um, but imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which a individual doubts their skills, talents, accomplishments, and has to use persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud, right? Mm -hmm. And despite there being plenty of external evidence probably of their competence, um, those experiencing this phenomenon remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve all they have achieved. Mm -hmm. And individuals with imposterism uh, in incorrectly really attribute their success to luck, or interpret it as a result of deceiving others into thinking they are more intelligent than they perceive themselves to be. And while early research really focused on the prevalence, um, I'm not laughing because it's funny, it's just because um, imposter it's, syndrome. It's too close to home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So yeah, while early research focused on the prevalence among high-achieving women of imposter syndrome, uh, it has been recognized to affect both men and women equally, right? Mm -hmm. 
That's interesting. I really did not realize that before. Because um, I think like whenever you see like uh, an article about imposter syndrome or whatever, you always see like a, a woman uh, as the, she's the front of the, the article or the examples mm-hmm. they give is often uh, relating to, to women in the workplace. Um, so it's interesting to see, to, to for me it was interesting to learn that if it affects uh, all genders uh, pretty much equally. And mm-hmm. another interesting thing is that uh, it ha- can happen also outside of, th- of the workplace too. Uh, for example, in relationships or with parenting or even with respect to mental illness itself, right? So, um, for example, <coughs> yeah, people might, um, might find difficult to accept a diagnosis because they feel like they have this image of what a specific mental illness should look like so so if we take the example of a bipolar uh, disorder people might because of the media and all of that we have expectations of what it should look like and people are effectively suffering from it might think that uh, okay but i'm not bipolar bipolar enough because i don't behave in this and that way so that's also a sort of <laughs> imposter <laughs> syndrome with like yeah <laughs> with, with respect to mental illness itself and uh, yeah, as I said, with relationships or parenting, it can also be like you feel like you're not good enough of a partner or you shouldn't be a parent or yeah, it's the spectrum of uh, of imposter syndrome is really wide and it isn't really clear why some people are more prone to experiencing it than others. Some experts believe that uh, it has to do with personality traits like uh, anxiety while others focus on family or behavioral uh, be- behavioral causes so sometimes childhood memories such as feeling that your grades were never good enough or for your parents or um, your siblings um, outshone you in certain areas can leave a lasting impact um, and people often internalize these ideas um, that in order to be loved or be lovable uh, I need to achieve um, and it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. Yes, it, it really does. And obviously we want to talk about this in, a, in the context of self-care and um, this is, these are not no hard and fast rules, um, but these are things I think both Seth and I acknowledge have served us quite well in dealing with this. Mm-hmm. And um, not just with imposter syndrome, but generally speaking and um the first thing is really um ask yourself is the thoughts that i'm thinking are they valid are they serving me or are they hindering me so a really good example for example would be for um me personally in this instance i obviously have completed my degrees and everything and every time i still apply to a job or try to look at oh would i be qualified for this I invalidate myself <laughs> Mess- massively, despite the evidence that I have done quite all right for myself. And um, mm. the question you have to ask yourself in these moments then is, are, are these thoughts really serving me? And um, it also helps really to talk someone about how you're feeling. Mm. So you'd be surprised to find out that many other people also feel the same way um mm-hmm. about this exact same issue and it's kind of reassuring to know that it is a normal feeling and it's not necessarily the reality you live in mm-hmm. and you know most people experience moments of doubt and that's that's completely normal it's just that you shouldn't let that doubt control your actions so for example mm-hmm. you don't apply to that job or you don't go for that promotion um, all of those kind of things mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I can definitely echo these words because I also feel like I've suffered from imposter syndrome with respect to my 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 studies or my academic um career, and I still sometimes catch myself um with it, but mm-hmm. um asking like asking myself okay first of all just recognizing when I'm starting to get into that loop of into that cycle, um it, I'm I'm better now at recognizing when it's happening and just the f- asking as you suggested asking myself okay is that thought serving me right now and all the time like 100% of the times uh, the answer <laughs> is no and that's how I'm, yeah. I can finally like break the cycle because I'm like I'm trying to be gentle with myself that 
those doubts are like the the feelings are valid but then the thoughts or like the negative thoughts are not serving me mm-hmm. so yeah it's a balance for me at least between uh being gentle with like this has been a pattern for me for a long time i'm just i'm not going to escape to mm-hmm. escape from it just like overnight uh but also remember that this is not serving you so it's in me it's my responsibility now to just yeah as I said, break the cycle. Another thing that I would, we would like to talk about is gaslighting. And because gaslighting is something that can really, really mess with your mental health um, a lot. So uh, first, um, first and foremost, what is gaslighting? It is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or a group covertly shows seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or group, making them question their own memory, perception, or judgment. Um, It may evoke changes in them such as cognitive dissonance uh, or low self-esteem, rendering the victim additionally dependent on the gaslighter for emotional support and validation. So using denial, misdirection, contradiction, and disinformation, gaslighting involves attempts to destabilize the victim and delegitimize the victim's beliefs. Yeah, so to give you a couple of examples what gaslighting actually looks like. So um, first one would be, um, you know, someone or the abuser in that sense, the person denying that previous um, abusive incidences have occurred. So, for example, saying, oh, yeah, I don't remember this or what are you talking about? And it's kind of uh, feeds into this idea of also belittling um, the victim's emotions and feelings to um, the staging of like kind of bizarre events by the abuser with the intention to disorienting disorienting the person um, that they are abusing. And the goal of gaslighting is really to gradually undermine the victim's confidence in their own ability to distinguish truth from falsehood, so basically right from wrong or reality from delusion and thereby rendering an individual or sometimes also a group um, pathologically dependent on the gaslighter for their thinking and feelings. And um, commonly people who are, uh, and obviously we do not say that every single person in your life might have these issues, but people who have who are narcissists or who are sociopaths uh, frequently use gaslighting tactics to abuse and undermine victims and in interpersonal relationships um, the abuser needs to always be right and in order to kind of preserve their own sense of self and their sense of having power in this world and the victim usually allows the victimizer to define their sense of reality and as much as that the victim I idealizes the person that is being abusive towards them and seeks their approval Mm. and it's really a horrendous form of emotional abuse with an undertone of um, trying to maintaining control over another human being and um, Mm. the abuser really then in that instance tries to invalidate the victim's experience by saying things uh, in a dismissive way so you're crazy don't be so sensitive don't be paranoid I was just joking um, you know, all of those kind of things. Yeah. So some warning signs, like, so, so some things to look out for recognizing uh, signs of gaslighting are, um, so the, the abusers would um, typically do things like withhold information from the victim um, or counter information to fit the abuser's perspective or uh, discount information um, using verbal abuse Um, usually in the forms of jokes, Um, Mm. also blocking and diverting the victim's attention from outside sources, Um, trivializing or minimizing the victim's worth, Um, and also undermining the victim by gradually uh, weakening them and their thought process. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not specifically tied to being sexist, but uh, women tend to be uh, frequent targets of uh, gaslighting compared to men. Who are more uh, who more often engage in the gaslighting, um, and as a result, um, it, it's as a result of this uh, social conditioning. Um, it's part of the structure of sexism that women are supposed to be less confident uh, to doubt um, their views and beliefs and reaction and perception uh, more than men. Um, 
and the, the gaslighting is aimed at undermining someone's view and beliefs, as we said before. Um, and the sexist, sexist norm of self-doubt uh, in all that the, its form prepares of us for just that. So um, gaslighting, imposter syndromes, these things, I feel like they really play a big role in um, just the sexist nature of, of society nowadays, how uh, women are always kind of uh, doubted and expected to also doubt themselves. Yes, so if you go back to um, our first season where we discuss sexism in a lot more detail, there are obviously stereotypes and uh, social conditioning that, you know, society wants to perceive women in a certain way. And both mm -hmm. imposter syndrome and gaslighting have therefore been predominantly, um, you know, mental health issues for women rather than men, although we do not say they don't exist in men, it is just mm -hmm. a lot less common. Something that is probably more common for both genders is social anxiety or social anxiety disorder. And uh, it's also called social phobia and it's kind of this long-term overwhelming fear of social situations. And uh, it's a common problem that usually starts during teenage years and it can have a massive impact on your life. Um, and luckily for some people it gets better as they kind of get older but for many people it does not really go away without treatment and um, it's important to remember that social anxiety is a lot more than being just shy um, it's kind it's a fear that does not go away and affects your everyday activities your self-confidence your relationships uh, your work life or your school life and um Obviously, many people occasionally worry about a social situation, but someone with social anxiety is overly worried before, during and after them. And there is this intense fear of being judged, um, negatively evaluated or rejected in a social or performance situation. Yeah, and let me give you some more uh, concrete symptoms of social anxiety. Uh, for example, worrying about everyday activities such as meeting strangers or starting conversations or speaking on the phone or working or shopping. Um, it can also manifest in avoiding or worry a lot about social activities um, such as like you will try to not uh, get involved in group conversations or you do not want to eat with a company or at parties. Um, might also always be worried about doing something you think is embarrassing, such as blushing or sweating or appearing incompetent. Um, you find it difficult to do things um, when others are watching, so you may you might feel like you're being watched and judged all the time. Um, maybe you fear being criticized or you're avoiding eye contact or have just a, a low self-esteem um, in general. Um, or you often have symptoms like feeling sick or sweating or trembling or a pounding heartbeat um, in socially anxious uh, situations. Um, you can also even have um, experienced panic attacks uh, where you have an overwhelming sense of fear and anxiety, uh, anxiety um, that usually only lasts for a few minutes but is very intense. And many people with social anxiety also have other mental health issues, such as depression or generalized anxiety disorder or panic disorder. Yes, and um, we think it's really, really important to talk about these symptoms and to make people understand really what the difference is between being a little bit uh, shy in a social situation actually suffering from something like social anxiety because mm -hmm. um, it's two very different cups of tea and um, the second one social anxiety itself is so stigmatized and it can be deliberating for your for your life and mm -hmm. obviously we're talking about all of this in the context of self-care but mm -hmm. bear in mind that if you actually suffer from these symptoms, self-care is only going to get you so far. So things, simple things that we mentioned in the context of imposter syndrome, uh, such as, is this thought serving me, will actually probably not help you in this instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you do like feel or know someone who you, f you fear might have 
serious social anxiety issues as opposed to just being a bit shy or nervous uh, from time to time, then it's really important to take the extra step and seek professional help because, yeah, as we said, self-care will not solve all of your issues, um, especially if they're very deeply rooted. And, um, yeah, sometimes it just takes some external help. We can't um, fight it all from within. So, um, something that I think both Steph and I found quite surprising um, in many ways is that eating disorders are also classed as a mental health condition. Now, I've known this only for a little while, maybe under under two years, for a year and a half, but um, let us get into this a little bit, um, because an eating disorder is basically a mental health condition where you use the control of food to cope with feelings in other situations. So unhealthy eating behaviors may include eating too much or too little or worrying about your weight or body shape. And any one can really get an eating disorder, but teenagers between 13 and 17 are most likely to be affected. And there are some very common eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, which is um, trying to control your weight by not eating enough food, exercising too much or doing both. Uh, there is bulimia, which is looking at losing control uh, over how much you eat and then taking drastic actions to not put on weight and then there's binge eating disorder which I think is not discussed enough which um, looks at eating large portions of food until you feel uncomfortably full mm-hmm. and these are just obviously there are other types of eating disorders but I think these are the most well-known ones yeah and some of the symptoms of uh, eating disorders include spending a lot of time worrying about your weight and your body shape or um, avoiding socializing when you think food will be involved, um, or also eating very little food, um, making yourself uh, or making yourself sick, or taking laxatives after you eat, um, or exercising too much. That's also can be, that also can be a, a symptom of an eating disorder, um, or having very strict habits or routines around food. Or even uh, changes in your mood, such as being withdrawn, anxious or depressed. Yes, and like many other mental health conditions, you can also have physical signs of an eating disorder. So you can feel cold, tired or dizzy. Um, You can get pains, tingling or numbness in in your uh, extremities, so your arms or your legs. You can start um, feeling faint on a persistent basis or get um, a a higher heart rate, so your heart is racing constantly. You get problems with your digestion, such as bloating, constipation, or actually diarrhea. And it can also result in, you know, your weight either being very low for your age or height, but also being very high. And one of the most uh, common ones for women is also that you're not getting your period or um, other delayed signs of puberty. And whilst it's possible to recover from an eating disorder, it may actually take a lot of time and recovery looks very, very different for everyone. And it's definitely also something you may where self care can and, and mindfulness can help you supplement your recovery, mm-hmm. but you do need professional treatment. Yeah, yeah, I think you do need um you need you need to take it seriously, especially if these uh, symptoms, um, are long lasting because they can, really um lead to even, like more severe symptoms. So for example, uh, you might start developing um, confusion, uh, like a confused thinking or reduced ability to concentrate. Uh, you might have start to have excessive fears or worries or uh, extreme feelings of guilt. Um, I mentioned that before, but you could have even more extreme mood changes of really, really high highs and then very low lows. Uh, you might see start to see yourself withdrawing from friends and activities. Um, you might experience significant tiredness um, very low energy or you can also in the worst case start to detach from reality uh, start uh, to experience delusions or paranoia or hallucinations um, you might find it very uh, difficult to cope with daily problems or stress um, you might have trouble understanding and relating to situations and to people um, this in the same way that people who are not suffering from 
uh, eating disorders or the, or the type of mental health don't. Um, you might also start having problem with alcohol or drug use. That's very common that they go, um, that they come along uh, eating disorders. Of course, not always, but it's very it's quite common. And um, yeah, so it's really important to kind of start um, to seek help like as early as you can because these symptoms, the f I feel like the further they go, the more severe they become and the harder they will be to to um, kind of address and recover. Um, so in this case, I think from our point of view, the from the, the self-care perspective, um, you could do things to look after yourself to prevent you falling into a like eating disorder. So just make sure that yeah you're exercising, you're happy, you have friends, you you just like you look after your your body and your mind uh, to prevent. But if you think that you might already be um have fallen into an eating disorder then it's very cru crucial to uh, i believe seek professional help and to remember that this does not define you um it it happens to anyone uh you did not make it happen um to you to yourself um it's just like as you know getting any other type of physical illness right like we catch sometimes a flu some people might sometimes, unfortunately, catch a eating disorder. So it's nothing to blame yourself. And yeah, it is people do recover. Yes. And I think um, what's really important to remember is the fact that with eating disorders, there is so much variety there. And I think this was for me quite interesting to understand that it is actually a mental health issue mm -hmm. and that it can have so many different effects on on your life and treating as with mental health issues as with depression as with anxiety treatment plan a may work for you while treatment plan b may work better for another person mm -hmm. so there is no one size fits all approach and um, with any kind of uh, mental health issue such as you know the ones that we've already mentioned self-care can help you um you know prevent a relapse or help you cope with a relapse better but it's not a supplement for professional treatment mm -hmm. should we go now concretely into like some things because we keep thinking about this like self-care magic but yes <laughs> how what does it really Let's look like when self -care. It comes <laughs> when, <laughs> what does it practically look like uh in the context of eating disorders or or social anxiety or um you know the, the things we talked about yeah so for example um there are ways to learn how to maintain your mental health or protect your mental health right and a common one is meditation learning about mindfulness um, scheduling time to check in with yourself so have you been eating well how's your sleep how's your alcohol drug use um, how's your general mood um, are you exercising regularly are you socializing regularly and are you looking after yourself mm -hmm. and you don't always have to check all of them right mm -hmm. so for someone who may have suffered and I'm going to purely talk in the context of anorexia if you have some suffered as someone with anorexia and you've been exercising too much, well, are you exercising regularly? For you means something very different than to a normal person, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because you may have been doing this excessively to the point that it has been to detriment of your mental health. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to check all of those boxes and be perfect in every single one of them, but reflecting on it and thinking about how am I doing with those things is really important to maintain good mental health and, mm -hmm. and protect it as well yeah yeah i love these questions it's about just about being mindful and just being kind to yourself every now and then just just checking mm -hmm. in <laughs> um another yes. thing that i really love to do when it comes to self-care is setting boundaries um i find that it helps me a lot to stay sa sane and also to um kind of repay myself for and, and my body for you know just being with me and, and supporting me <laughs> so it's kind of showing respect mm -hmm. to my mind and my body so um for example do not commit commit to things that you don't want to do um 
and also don't feel pressured to doing things just because someone else is telling you that you have to to be there you have mm-hmm. to do this like you don't have to do shit in fact so like if <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah so if like it's very i think it's extremely important especially i believe more even more so for women that we put mm-hmm. ourselves first because like we're not really thought that like no one taught us that what our needs are important um mm-hmm. and and valid and yeah so definitely just make sure to to not commit to things that you don't want to do um i think i think it's okay um also another thing is like learn your limits and become like really comfortable about saying no because like it, it it's easy easier now for me to say like yeah no don't commit to things mm-hmm. that you don't want to do but it's not easy for everyone to say no uh, it can induce you know anxiety um because you're not used to it so it's also about understanding that saying no is not oh doesn't always mean that you're being a mean person or someone who doesn't care um it's just means that you're someone who knows yourself and is willing to set boundaries to again respect your mind mind and your body um uh-huh. i would also add um that try to give yourself permission to feel whatever you're feeling um don't um and that's something that I'm, <laughs> I'm saying now, but I'm not always very good at it. But don't <laughs> repress your feelings, right? It's fully yeah. <laughs> okay to be, to be sad or anxious at times. Um, it's really the nature of being a human. Um, so and that goes with like self care too. I think um, recognizing that you are going to feel what you will feel, um, and as soon as you accept that, I feel like it's much easier to not let it then control your actions because. Yeah, you are not your feelings. You are like what kind of what you decide to do with it or how you respond to it. Um, also, make sure to seek support whenever is needed. Don't be shy about that. That's really important. None of us on this planet can do it all by ourselves. So we're all going to need help at some point. So don't be shy about um, seeking support. Um, and hopefully you do have a support system in place or some safe place you can go to when you're feeling vulnerable um if you don't if you don't yet try to make that happen for yourself uh wherever possible um also yeah just start small and don't put too much pressure on yourself because this is a huge learning process at least it has been for me uh from Mm -hmm. recognizing what even is like from understanding what even is um mental health what are the different mental health problems that one can experience to also acknowledging that I am responsible for my own self-care and then how does like what are the things that work for me um, versus things that might not that will work better for my my friends or my family like it's all a journey um, an ongoing one Um, so yeah just try to to be gentle with yourself and yeah lastly I want to say with again with like the, the boundary thing uh, be protective of your time. Um, we live, I feel like, in a day and age where we forgot kind of the value of time. Uh, we're always on and about doing things, working a lot, socializing left and right, uh, being present on social media and all of that. So we forget to set aside time for ourselves. So um, I would I would say that, yeah, I, I would like to end with that. Just be, be protective of your, of your time. Yes, and I agree with all of those points and I love that you said it's a learning journey because mm-hmm. it is. You don't just wake up with all the equipment in your toolbox. So mm-hmm. you'll learn over time. So um, we're coming to the end of um, this episode and it's probably going to be a longer one than we anticipated originally. <laughs> but we still want to spend some time on how to make a difference. So... Here are a few recommendations for you, really. So don't just check in with your friends when it's needed or overdue. Try and create a culture that enables your friends to trust you at any given time, right? So don't just wait for that coffee for you to say like, oh yeah, how are you doing? Make sure your friends feel like they can always talk to you whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, try within your comfort zone to share your own experience and normalize sharing it and I think that's for both Seth and me and your experience <laughs> if I don't <laughs> yeah 
it's a new one but um you know the same way you wouldn't feel ashamed about sharing that you broke a foot an arm something else you know let's just try and work all towards a feeling that makes us uh, comfortable sharing about when we are struggling or what we're struggling struggling with especially with our mental health um mm-hmm. don't perpetuate stigma so if you hear people spreading misinformation around mental health just correct them as mm-hmm. easy as that yeah <laughs> yeah and um when it comes to gaslighting for example if at the workplace you see people being gaslit just intervene um yeah if you feel like someone you know is experiencing um the imposter syndrome try to be there for them reassure them re- remind them that they are here because of their competence and not due to to luck because that's usually what the, the a person suffering from from imposter syndrome will believe so it's nice to to have someone uh, reassure you with that respect so if you can try to be that person for someone mm-hmm. uh, finally very importantly because I talked a lot about setting your own boundaries but it is equally important to respect other people's boundaries as well keep in mind that their boundaries can be different from yours um, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't respect them um, so yeah just be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and I think the world will be a better place. <laughs> yes, always oh, so positive today. Um, <laughs> as you know, we introduced um, the personal take section uh, for this season, and I think we're going to keep up with this today. Um, I think I have talked about my personal take on this beforehand in a previous episode. Um, as mm-hmm. most people know, I am in recovery from bulimia, and um, that's why I can probably relate to many of the things that have been discussed on today's episode but I think it's really important to underline that um, even if you don't feel like recovery is possible it Mm -hmm. definitely is it'll never be easy and you will probably relapse statistically speaking (laughs) but um, it's all about having that support system that backup plan in place to protect your mental health um, to Mm -hmm. in order to cope with it so that's me for yeah. today. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Yeah, and for me, I also feel like I've uh, talked already a bit about my own experience when it comes to racial trauma. I feel like I do carry some ancestral ancestral trauma um, around, you know, like just evolving, uh, navigating this world as a black person with um, ancestors who have lived things, um, who have lived like experienced slavery and and wars and extreme violence because of uh, our race um i think that's like it's part of me and um i'm i'm working i'm i'm better now at at accepting it at identifying it at trying to understand how can i break the cycle how do i not perpetuate for example the the belief that uh the example i was giving earlier that uh, we should work twice as hard to get anywhere. I think now I'm starting to lean more towards the, okay, this shouldn't fall on us no longer. Like, I really would like to break this cycle, and that's why I am um, advocating for more justice, such that um, I wouldn't have to tell uh, future black generations that if they want to succeed, they, they would need to work twice as hard. Um, I'd rather break that that cycle and look elsewhere um why does this belief still carry and uh, what can we do about it yes thank you for sharing that um (laughs) shout outs we have some shout outs and some recommendations for you uh seth do you want to do the honors today (laughs) yeah be my pleasure okay so we definitely recommend as a read as a reading, um, the body keeps its uh, the body keeps the score, mind, brain, and the body in the transformation of trauma. An excellent uh, book by Bessel van der Kolk. Hopefully, I said that right. You did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we actually have another read suggestion to today. Um, it is the Mind Medic, um, just the Instagram account by Dr. Sarah Vora. Vora. And for our listen, we suggest um, Stronger Minds by Kimberly Wilson um, and also the Therapy for Black Girls with uh, Joe Harden and Bradford. Uh, yeah, great podcasts to check out. Um, 
And finally, the our watch recommendation is uh, Freddy Flintoff, uh, Living with Bulimia. Um, so yeah, a st- story about navigating with uh, bulimic disorder. Yeah, with eating disorders in general. And it's one of the few, I think it's the first documentary by the BBC that ever was made on anything like this and frames it as a mental health condition. So it's an interesting watch, people. Um... <laughs> Yeah, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, this is your problem too.